Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio on a Farmer Friday here in the Morton studio. I'm Darren Hefty. And I'm Brian Hefty. Thanks for joining us today. Well, today on the show, it is Farmer Friday, so our phone lines will be open all throughout the show. If you want to call in, our number is 844-44-AG-PHD. Again, that's 844-442-4743. Or you can send us an email, radio at agphd.com. We're going to get to your questions in the Ag PhD mailbag in just a minute. Before we do, I would just say... Weather's starting to get cold here in the northern United States, and I'd really encourage you to make sure you're winterizing things, pumps, sprayers, you name it. Um, <laughs> the worst thing in the world, well, not the worst thing in the world, but one of the worst things on the farm that can happen is when you go in the spring and you're like, oh, yeah, this is going to be a great year, and you start pulling stuff out, and you're like, uh-oh, I got a major problem here. Oh, we didn't clean this thing out good enough. Forgot to put antifreeze in this thing. And you end up with a few problems that way. So I just encourage you, get prepared for winter here. I, I, I'll just tell you, I'm not a fan of winter at all. However, it's actually fantastic for our crops and our soils because winter and a really harsh winter kills a lot of insects diseases, and in some cases, even weeds. So uh, it, it also can help with soil compaction a little bit. I'm not saying a lot, but at least a little bit. So there actually are some good things on the farm from a harsh winter. I love it. The guy who hates winter trying to sell you on how wonderful winter can be. Yeah, but see, the good news is all that nice stuff that happens for the farm in the winter, it can happen, well, I've gone somewhere south and warm if I wanted to. So... Anyway, uh, we're, when Darren and I were growing up on the farm, we had a lot of livestock. And I just remember one Christmas where on Christmas Day, this is no kidding, on Christmas Day, we are hauling hot water from the house out to our hog waterers because things had frozen up. So that was lots of fun. Uh, you know, we don't have livestock on our farm anymore, but we certainly feel for those people who do because it's a 24-7, 365-day job. And in some cases, it's not a whole lot of fun when it's about 20 below zero and you got to do some of those tough jobs. All right, let's get to the Ag PhD mailbag. It's now mailbag time with Brian and Darren. All right, got this question from Darren down in Northwest Iowa. He said, I've finally been broken by you guys. I'm going with some type of strip till. After this year, we were so dry. I know my corn didn't benefit from the nutrients being in just the top few inches of soil. Now, I've got a plan here on equipment, but my question is about P and K. How much can I load up in my strips and still be safe on the salt? Can I use the full grain removal number or... Can I use the full grain and stock removal rates where I need it? I'm planning on being at about six to eight inches deep. We were just talking about this yesterday on the show, and the question was the same. And it it it's here are the two factors we're looking at. Number one is the distance fertilizer to seed, and number two is how heavy is that soil. And, of course, I guess you could throw in there how much rainfall well, you're going to get and, and time of the year. He said he's sure. going to do it in the fall. Yeah, and that helps. That helps. I We're not real big believers in putting on a build program. We are big believers in putting on at least what grain removal is. We've done that and had really good success for years. But keep in mind, we're usually shooting for 8 to 10 inches deep, not 6 to 8 inches deep. The deeper you can go, the more fertilizer you can put out there. 
So in some cases, we've had ridiculously high yield goals, still put a lot of fertilizer out, had no problem at all, worked just fine. But yeah, I just tell you, be be careful. So our, our advice to you is typically this. If you want to build, then broadcast. If you want to feed the crop, banding is amazing. All right, thanks for the question, Darren. I get this one from Brian. Boy, it's funny. First two questions from Darren and from Brian. Not from us, uh, but from others. All right, Brian said, I know alfalfa uses heaps of sulfur. I'm using ammonium sulfate, and it works well in my corn crop, but I'm wondering what I should use for a sulfur source on my alfalfa, and just curious what you guys are doing on yours. Yeah, so this coming year will be the first time we will have a lot of acres of alfalfa for the first time in, I mean, it's probably been 30 years. So we haven't been doing anything because we haven't had big acres of it, but yeah, ammonium sulfate is going to be fine. I mean, let's put it this what way. What about we that just nitrogen? I mean, how much nitrogen do you really want to apply on alfalfa ground? Well, you don't, you don't need it. So that's where I'm going with this is with the sulfur, I don't really care. You just got to look at how can I get it out there as inexpensively as possible. So you could use gypsum. You could use ammonium sulfate. I mean, there are there are a number of products that are going to contain sulfur. So I would say just look for a relatively inexpensive source. I'm not too worried about it. My only concern here is that you get too much sulfur out in one shot and you burn the alfalfa a little bit, especially like with a liquid product. So be a little bit careful with what you're doing. Do it in moderation. Try it on a small scale first before you get real carried away. But, you know, to throw a few pounds of ammonium sulfide out there is certainly not going to hurt anything, and that should work just fine. Now, I would say with alfalfa, you're obviously not injecting any fertilizer. I mean, when the stand's already existing. So you're counting on rain. And where I'm going with this is don't count on that sulfur being in the ground and super available until you get a significant amount of rain. A quarter of an inch isn't going to cut it. All right. One other comment that Brian had for us. He said you guys were talking about grain and how, how many tons you have to haul with the grain. But he said you guys need to get involved more with silage and talk about the trucking on the silage end of things that you're just getting involved with here, too. Uh, you're right, Brian. Wait, wait, That's a, wait, there's a lot of tons wait. per acre on the silage that, that you end up hauling. Wait. Oh, just to... So we were talking about trucking, and you're, he's saying yes. include the yeah. silage thing yeah. in there. Yeah, yeah. because you think about it, 80 bushel soybeans, that's 4,800 pounds per acre. Well, that's nothing like a 30-ton yeah, silage Yeah, but crop the is. difference is, I mean, for silage, you're usually hauling it two miles or you know five miles maybe, whereas sometimes soybeans, I mean, we'll haul them 100 miles away. So there is that, but yes, I, I mean, it does get very... It does get to be a lot when you're trucking silage, in part because of the moisture. There's so much moisture, so much water in there that you're hauling. That's a big factor. It's Farmer Friday on Ag PhD Radio, taking your calls and questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. Weeds rob you of yield potential, so rob them of the chance to grow with powerful corn herbicide solutions from Corteva AgriScience. Weeds won't know what hit them, but you will. Because you can count on all the top corn herbicide products, including Resicor, SureStart 2, and Keystone NXT, to effectively control weeds, you can spend less time worrying about unwanted yield-robbing plants and power on. Learn more at poweroverweeds.com power. Keystone NXT is a restricted-use pesticide. 
If you've ever wondered how the Farmall got its name, here's an abbreviated list of the jobs the Case IH Farmall can do. Baling, cutting hay, feeding, hauling, loading, pulling, raking, cleaning barn, mixing feed, fertilizing, mowing, chopping, seeding, clearing, irrigating, furrowing, cultivating, hitching, digging, emergency tow, harrowing, hoisting, leading parades, excavating, grading. <sighs> Let's make it simple. This tractor does it all. So no matter what you're doing, can do comes in red. Farmall. Learn more at caseih.com slash farmall. How do you make 300 bushel corn on your farm? I'm Darren Hefty. On Tuesday, February 1st, we're going to answer that question at a free Ag PhD corn agronomy workshop at the Morton Center near Baltic, South Dakota. We'll talk about water management, fertility needs, finding success in cold soils, and discuss how to protect your corn crop from weeds, insects, and diseases that rob your yield potential. If you want a roadmap to 300 bushel corn and beyond, don't miss the free Ag PhD corn agronomy workshop. Register now at agphd.com. Boost your productivity and profitability with Soil Warrior from Environmental Tillage Systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and your yield potential in just one strip-till pass. Now that's ROI. Contact us today at SoilWarrior.com. Conditioning low-moisture beans to 13% can add semi-loads to your bottom line. And with our 13 for 13 year-end special, make 13% beans possible with 13% off an end-zone bin system. Use promo code 13 for 13 at farmshopmfg.com. It's Farmer Friday and Ag PhD Radio. Phone lines are open at 844-44-AG-PHD for your agronomic questions. And also, if you just want to talk about how things are going on your farm and, and what's happening right now, that's cool too. You can email us, radio at agphd.com as well. Let's head over to Illinois. We've got Jeff on with us right now. Jeff, how's it going? Very well. And yourself? You know, can't complain. we got harvest all yeah, wrapped up and in the bin. <laughs> no, that's right. That's right. Nobody cares. <laughs> So how about harvest over there? Are you in a, a good part of Illinois that's got everything out, or are you still struggling to get a few things done? Uh, we finished corn and soybean harvest and just getting started on horseradish, so that'll give us something to do for uh, the winter time. Uh, Grandpa says harvest any month with an R, so that uh, well, we got started here in November, and we'll try to be done before April. <laughs> I was going to say, I just was running that through my head. I'm like, I think you're pretty good here until April and March, but um, I guess March has yep. got an R too. So, yeah, you got a ways to go. March, April, sometimes roll an R into May just to get finished up. <laughs> so. Well, that's cool. So how did the corn and soybeans turn out? Uh, pretty good. Uh, the low areas were lacking yield, and the high areas were – not water stressed turned out very well so kind of a mixed bag but take it all as we can yeah yeah it all averages out and and you think about the the price situation that we've got right now getting any crop at all is is certainly a lot better than nothing and uh yeah. you know looking at next year now what do you do on that is the do the horseradish acres stay pretty stable for you do they grow is there opportunity there uh, very stable prices set when we plant it. We have contracts to fill. Um, so yeah, not, does not fluctuate like the corn and soybean market does pretty stable commodity price, uh, in that regard, but definitely, uh, having difficulty finding labor at this point. Oh. 
that's yes. our stumbling block right now. Is there a big, speak about the horseradish again, is there a big uptick in demand around the holiday season here with all the big family meals, that type of thing? Uh, yeah, some here towards the end of the year, but then um, I guess that's right after the first of the year we get into um, Passover, different things, that that's the horseradish being a bitter uh, for the Jewish holidays. It's pretty oh. high demand there for the fresh market stuff as well. All right, talk to us about your farm then and your family, Jeff. At Thanksgiving, is horseradish on the menu? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> uh, and it's not just a condiment, it's also an ingredient. So, yeah, we'll we'll have fresh horseradish on the table. Uh, one of our family favorites is the the pineapple apricot horseradish or the uh, cranberry horseradish. Those are good mixes. Put those in your, use them as salad dressings, put them in your mashed potatoes to add color and zip and make everybody wonder what you've got there for them. And, uh, but yeah, put it in your deviled eggs and uh, yeah, use it, use it more than just fresh on the, the table. Lots of uses. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's kind of good to hear you're, you're getting going. Does it look like a good crop this year? Is that is that had a decent year? Uh, again, water stress, you were seeing that. and uh, But, yeah, all in all, things are looking well for the horseradish crop as well. We've got a good start. Um, like I said, we need labor to get it through the shed onto pallets to ship to the buyers for them to grind it and bottle it. So that's kind of our, I'll say, hang up at this point is finding the labor to get it in the cooler and move to the next part of the process yep, yep. to the buyers. Well, Jeff, good luck on that, and uh, we wish you a happy Thanksgiving as well. Thank you to your family as well. You bet. Thanks. Uh, let's head over to Georgia. we got Mark on right now. Mark, what's for dinner and Thanksgiving at your family's get-togethers? Well, I wasn't planning on eating horse race, but I, I guess I'll have to try some of it now. Absolutely. Well, Jeff talks about that a lot, that uh, we kind of pigeonhole horseradish as, well, that's what I'm going to have with some prime rib or something like that, but certainly a lot more uses. And it just does kind of sound interesting having a little zip with some of the things at, at Thanksgiving. Yeah, I'm going to have to give it a try on something. I, I enjoy horseradish. Awesome. So you got everything wrapped up down there, or are you guys still working out in the fields? We're picking cotton. Uh, we always want to be through by Thanksgiving, but this is not going to be one of those years. We might be eating uh, horseradish out in the field. I, I don't know this time. Uh, we're, we're, we're getting it wound down, but we probably lack uh, a week to 10 days being through with cotton. Sure, sure. Well, we're through the hurricane season, right? So at least you don't have that yes. big worry? We, we hope we're through the hurricane season. Uh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to yeah, jinx we, you right we, we there. A, we, we, uh, we, we got by okay this year. Um, but uh, peanuts are, are, are basically through. Uh, there's just still a few isolated spots in our area that have some peanuts. But cotton and, and uh, soybeans, especially some of the double crop soybeans, are being harvested now. Well, beautiful weather right now. It's uh, uh, blue skies. Uh, 55, 60 degrees, uh, it's, it's ex excellent harvest weather. Yeah, we're up to 48 degrees, I think, today. So that's we aren't too far off yet. Now we're going to 
cool down going forward a little more than you, but... Uh, I imagine uh, uh, you probably don't have a short sleeve shirt on. Y'all don't have many of those in your closet. No, we don't, we don't have that much uh, lately. We're, anyway. we're transitioning now. We go through the thing in, in the south. Look, uh, you look in the back seat of your truck, and you've got two or three uh, uh, windbreakers or, or little sweaters that you put on in the morning and, and then shed them about lunchtime. But uh, I'm in a short sleeve shirt right now. All right, all right. Just rub it in, Mark. We, we appreciate that. Well, hey, good luck picking the cotton. Hopefully you guys get it wrapped up soon and get to enjoy that Thanksgiving meal. Yeah, we're, we're trying to we're trying to figure out what to do next year now, looking at these input costs. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a nightmare. Oh, it is. Yeah, we've got a number of questions that we're going to get to here later in the show, and a lot of them have to do with that too, especially with fertilizer. It's It's something else. Y'all, y'all uh, spend some time talking about some banding, and we haven't done that. Uh, we, we have a limited amount in the past dry fertilizer, but, but we're looking at possibly doing that next year to try to try to help some, with some of these costs. Yeah, yeah, I agree. That's uh, definitely on the docket on quite a few farms that we're talking to just to uh, – I don't know. I think it's a good strategy. You know, many areas that had the drought this year, they saw that, and we had a question already on the show today that, that a farmer in Iowa had so, had seen that the broadcast just – his crop just couldn't get it on that dry year, so he's thinking if he gets it down in the ground and bands it, the roots will have a better time finding it. I think he's right. Yeah, one one of the issues down here that we run into is our high humidity, and uh, I, I've been talking to some people, and I don't know if uh, going to with some homogenous fertilizer if that maybe will will lessen the amount of uh, sweating or, or that, that we have in some of these things. Uh, our nitrogen products, especially, uh, there can can become really uh, uh, annoying trying to handle those in in, the, in this real hot weather. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You're right. The humidity and on those blends can be a real challenge for for clumping and that type of thing. But we we had uh, uh, some friends of ours. They piled. They had a pile outside for site uh, where they had done silage in the past. So they had a concrete strip and and a bunker, and they ended up putting urea in that bunker in the fall just to make sure they got it. And it wasn't quite yeah, as yeah. as crazy as this year, but but it it was fine. They said, yeah, there was some a little bit of clumping right on the edges where they didn't get it sealed up very well. But so the middle of it, once they broke through that, was was great. So might be a strategy if supplies are tight. Well, one of my suppliers, uh, we were talking yesterday, actually, and it seems that, that we've got, uh, to a certain extent, a manufactured shortage uh, because these higher prices have all of a sudden miraculously opened up some products in spots. But uh, he advised me to just not do anything right now. We usually fall apply some, some uh, uh, pot, uh, phosphorus with our cover crops. But uh, it's it's three times what it was this time last year. Yeah, yeah, it is. Hey, you're right about that. When prices go up, I'm just miraculously, supply happens to come available. Hey, Mark, thank All you so much. Some, some, some comes available. Sure. Hey, y'all have a great Thanksgiving. <laughs> you bet. Thank you. Great Thanksgiving to your, right. you and your family as well. It's Farmer Friday on Ag PhD Radio, and we'll be right back after this. When it comes to commanding herbicide formulations, you know New Farm. New Farm brings you Panther SC, an animal when it comes to speed of control and long residual on a broad spectrum of tough broadleaf weeds like mare's tail, palmer amaranth, and water hemp. 
And did we mention convenience? Panther SC works in pre-plant, pre-emerge, and post-harvest systems and keeps your rotation options open. New Farm and Panther SC, here to help. Beat resistant weeds with Tough IVC on your team. Add Tough IVC into your post-emergent tank mix and even the playing field. Tough IVC, a selective contact herbicide, synergizes HPBD inhibitors and enhances the effect of PS2 herbicides. Tough IVC increases control of some of the toughest to kill herbicide resistant weeds, such as Palmer Amaranth and Waterhemp. Ask your local retailer about Tough IVC or visit BelchamUSA.com. Always read and follow label instructions. What can you do to build a better wheat crop? I'm Darren Hefty. On Tuesday, January 11th, we're holding a free Ag PhD Wheat Agronomy Workshop at the Morton Center on our farm near Baltic, South Dakota. We'll be discussing how you can make your wheat crop more profitable by going in-depth on topics such as crop protection programs, seed treatment options, fertility requirements, and ways you can make your crop more resistant to stresses like drought and disease. We'll be covering all this and more, so don't miss the Ag PhD Wheat Agronomy Workshop. Sign up today at agphd.com. And while you're there, check out the other Ag PhD events we have coming up in January and February, including agronomy workshops in corn and soybeans, two days dedicated to soils, plus a whole day devoted to natural and biological products. There is a lot of great information here, and we can't wait to share it with you. To learn more about these events and register, go to agphd.com. Are you combining around weed patches, waiting for weeds to dry down, or tired of spring burndown failures? Save time, nutrients, and moisture by including a Valor herbicide brand in your fall burndown program. Valor provides excellent residual control of tough weeds, including kochia, mare's tail, prickly lettuce, dandelion, plus suppression of bromes. Proactive, effective weed resistance management starts in the fall. Get a clean start for your next season with Valor Herbicide Brands. Always read and follow label directions. It's smart to make the right agronomic choices, and it's even smarter to get rewarded for them. With the Bayer Plus Rewards Program, you earn cash back on seed, herbicides, and other eligible products. And it keeps getting smarter, because now you can earn an additional 10% bonus when you send your redemption check to your retailer. To learn more, contact your retailer today. Protect your yields and get the most from your land with Bayer Plus Rewards. Visit MyBayerPlus.com and see program terms and conditions for full details. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, and it is Farmer Friday. That means we're taking your calls and questions all throughout the show at 844-44-AG-PHD. Patiently waiting online here. Uh, has been Devin over in Western Nebraska. Devin, thanks for calling in and thanks for hanging on. Hey, no problem. Thank you. All right, I understand you got some sawfly out in your area. What What have you seen? Have you seen anything that works on it at all? Uh, no, it's pretty much uh, nobody. Everybody says that you can't spray for it. I mean, they're they're saying that they winter in the wheat stubble and then in the spring. If you can catch it at the right time, you know, you can, when they're moving over to the growing wheat and laying their eggs in the stem, if you can catch them at the right time, you can kill them. But it seems like nobody's really messing around, you know, with a $5 wheat, you know, but they're going up now. So, well, I'm just wondering what you guys have seen. 
Yep, this sure is works for you guys. Yeah, so let's put it this way: we've got wheat stem sawfly, and then there is gall midge larvae in soybeans. They're very, very similar. It's basically a fly, or some people call it a wasp, that lays an egg, ends up inside the stem. the The eggs hatch. There's a little worm that's basically hollowing out the inside of the stem on both wheat and soybeans. Different bugs, but very, very similar in the damage they do. And I would just say this, I'm, I'm really fortunate, uh, Devin, I get the opportunity to talk to the head people that run things for all these different ag chem manufacturers in our country and in some cases around the world, like the top people. And I have, I've mentioned both of these insects to almost every single company saying, look, we need some help. And these are major pests, especially the sawfly. You look at how many uh, tens of millions of acres that are impacted by that one bug, and we don't have a great control. I, I mean, so right now, a lot of people go, oh, well, I'll plant solid stem wheat. And I go, well, how much yield does that cost you? Well, it hurts some, but at least, you know, I don't have so much going on the ground. I also have guys that say they're going to plant later, they're going to cut early, or basically uh, lay it down and then harvest it, you know, swath it and then harvest it. And it's like, oh my goodness, I just, I can't believe yeah. we don't have another answer. Now, for for the soybeans, what they're looking at is actually thymet that was an old corn insecticide, and supposedly that has fairly decent control. I can't believe, like BSF, I have talked to BSF several times about both of these pests. They have a product called Regent, and I can't believe that Regent wouldn't have activity on that because it's systemic in the plant, but it's not labeled on wheat or on soybeans. But, I mean, honestly, I think that's something that needs to be experimented with because I, I, I think an at-plant application in furrow of regent would have to suppress them. But yeah, I, I mean, my first time I heard about sawfly was probably, I don't know, 15 years ago. And so I had some guys out in Montana doing several applications of Lorsban and they're like, well, it helped some, but I had to spray several times. <laughs> There's the, the, the timing is you have to be just right on time. If you're not there, like almost on the day that the flies are around, you don't get it. So it's, uh, right, right. I, I, I wish I had some great answer for you. I don't. Now, now uh, we were organic, and then we lost our farm, so I'm working for a farmer. We, when we were organic, we sprayed garlic. Okay. Now, uh, I'm, you know, this sounds re really ridiculous, but, it, I mean, it worked. We sprayed it on the sunflowers, and then time, time they were flowering and everything, agronomists come out and took WD-40, sprayed on the head, and there was no bugs in there. We took an ounce per gallon and dumped it in 500 gallon and sprayed it. Yep. Huh. He went a quarter of a mile away to another field and and I mean the bugs were just there. Do you you think that you know if a guy would spray that garlic out there because on the label it says it only lasts uh, like a month a month and a half. Sure. But wouldn't that be enough to keep them? You know, if you just spray it out there in the spring, as a repellent, keep them out of there. Hey, it's yeah, worth it's repellent. worth trying. Then there's nothing labeled and no control treatments. Uh, what the heck? Why why not give something a try? Maybe you want to call Jeff that was on our show earlier that had that's raising horseradish. Maybe horseradish would have something to do with it too. <laughs> that stuff's pretty hot when it's fresh ground. I'll tell you. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Honestly, Devin, I've never heard about this garlic thing, but that's something that we could certainly talk to some people about. Maybe they could give that. A try and then we can see because i mean we're 
we're just we're all desperate to try to find something. Now we're lucky we don't have wheat stem sawfly over here. There's not much wheat raised around here. But like I say, right. we got that very, very similar pest in gall midge larvae in soybeans. So yeah, maybe that's probably worth a try. Yeah, it's got to do something because this wheat's just laying over and you just lose so much. Exactly. Yep. Well, hey, Devin, I wish I had a better answer for you, but uh, thanks a lot for calling in and, and throwing out that garlic idea. Yeah, well, I sure appreciate it. You bet. Thanks. Thank you. Let's head down to West Central Missouri. Got Jeff on with us right now. Jeff, how are you doing today? I'm doing okay. How are you all? Pretty good. Pretty good. What's happening on your farm? Um, now we're putting on uh, anhydrous and uh, spraying uh, uh, bean stubble and corn uh, for fall, winter annuals and stuff to hold those, hold those back. Awesome. Um, just doing dirt work. You know, you say you're spraying the winter annuals out. I think that's fantastic. I, I have seen really good luck with those fall treatments. Have you guys been doing that for a long time? Yeah. Yeah, we, uh, we try to do what we can where we don't plant uh, rye for grazing and winter grazing and stuff. But, yeah. Yeah, that's yeah, it works, works well. That's a great practice. And, you know, you mentioned doing some dirt work, too. Uh, we we are also doing some dirt work and, and getting yeah. some tiling done and different things. It's a it's a great time of year to do that. Are you dry enough that you think conditions are great? Are you guys fighting any mud or anything like that? Um, no, this towards the end of this week here, it's really gotten really nice. and uh, uh, Ground conditions really dried up. Uh, earlier in the week, it was, it was a little muddy on some spots yet, but uh, no, it's working working real good right now awesome so, awesome yeah all right so give me the forecast for next year jeff on your farm more corn acres more bean acres more of something else or staying the same uh yep yeah, just staying the same flip-flopping as long as we can get some more fertilizer in the spring for bot we don't want to spread bottom ground with anhydrous in the fall um not that it floods but just you know you get a wet spring and whatnot yeah. Hopefully we can get some, some sort of fertilizer to put some in on uh, that, but it's got all the P and K, so it's good to go there. So. Sure, sure. Yeah, that's that's quite a deal this year. I know a yeah. lot, of, lot yeah. of people are pretty darn nervous about it. Well, and then what's the price going to be? That's Brian's kind of gambling yeah. that we're going to we're gonna see uh, not a terrible price, but who knows? We've got some of it taken care of, and we got some more to do next season. Yeah, yeah. Now, uh, our anhydrous so it's a little, little cheaper. Now it's around twelve hundred, I think, of what I heard, maybe or something. Wow, wow. Yeah. Yep. Crazy. Yep. Never thought I'd see that, but but here we go. Yeah. So I guess we yep. just gotta gotta do what we can do. Well, Jeff, thank you so much. Really appreciate yep. having you on here, and uh, and keep at it. Keep going. Sounds like you're doing yep. a lot of great things out there. Happy Thanksgiving to you all, and hope you have a good winter. You bet. Happy Thanksgiving to you as well, Jeff. Thanks a lot, uh, Brand. Get a a uh, question in, or comment in from Jerry he said you guys were talking about waterways the other day but you never mentioned how things kind of why out uh, so you can get water to actual actually flow into the waterway after it's been sodded in for a few years yeah there's definitely a lot of maintenance around waterways no doubt about that Jeff uh, for sure uh, I got this one from Jack and he said I wonder what you'd recommend for limiting compaction in grasslands uh, during my four year stretch of my rotation primarily grass with a break into sorghum and then cereal and peas i get a fair amount of compaction just wondering what you guys think about in grasslands what you can do 
Yeah, it's a little bit the same as what it would be in crops. You try to stay off it when it's wet, and you make sure you have really good calcium levels. Calcium is a a big key to soil porosity. So if you have good calcium levels, then you should be in good shape. So there are a lot of people that put gypsum on, for example, which is calcium and sulfur, and then after they do that, they go, oh boy, my soil really started to get softer. Well, that's no wonder because they raise their calcium levels. So I'd really take a look at those calcium levels in your soil. We need them to be at least 65%, if not 75%. Get them in that kind of range, and generally speaking, you have less compaction out there. Thanks for the question. I had a comment in from Sherman. He said, you guys are talking about weed seeds and how long they last. Velvet leaf seed can last 50 years or more. If we ever remove an old building or cover from the ground, they're one of the first things to pop up. Hey, thanks for the comment, Sherman. We'll be right back after this. Are you combining around weed patches, waiting for weeds to dry down, or tired of spring burndown failures? Save time, nutrients, and moisture by including a Valor herbicide brand in your fall burndown program. Valor provides excellent residual control of tough weeds, including kochia, mare's tail, prickly lettuce, dandelion, plus suppression of bromes. Proactive, effective weed resistance management starts in the fall. Get a clean start for your next season with Valor Herbicide Brands. Always read and follow label directions. We now bring you an important news bulletin. This just in from Live Action News. Innovation has come to the world of burndown. New Elevore herbicide controls your toughest weeds, even glyphosate and ALS-resistant weeds like mare's tail and henbit. Talk with your retailer about Elevore herbicide today and ask how you can start elevating your burndown. If you understood everything on a soil test and could make your own fertility plan, do you think you could cut your farm's fertilizer expenses? Maybe you could increase your yields. Why not both? I'm Darren Hefty. We want to empower you to make your own fertility decisions. That's why we're devoting two full days to our Ag PhD Soils Clinic this year, January 12th and 13th at the Morton Center on our farm near Baltic, South Dakota. This could be the most important two days that you spend in your farming career, and it's all free. So register now at agphd.com. While you're there, check out the other Ag PhD events we have coming up in January and February including agronomy workshops in corn, soybeans, and wheat, a tiling clinic, plus a whole day devoted to natural and biological products. There's a lot of great information here, and we can't wait to share it with you. To learn more about these events and register, go to agphd.com. Precision crop nutrition pays. And AgroLiquid has precisely what it takes to help you succeed. The right products plus the right expertise to give you guidance based on your soils, your fields, and your goals. While our clean, seed-safe formulations and lower application rates make planter fertilizer easier than ever. AgroLiquid. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. Revitech fungicide from BASF has been specifically developed for the selective soybean grower who doesn't compromise. If you think good is good enough, if you're okay with just achieving rather than overachieving, if average is your goal, this is not the fungicide for you. Revitech fungicide, brand new chemistry, three no excuse modes of action, zero modes of compromise. Sounds like the fungicide for you. Revitech fungicide from BASF, that's smart. Always read and follow label directions. 
Farmer Friday and Ag PhD Radio. We're taking your calls and questions at 844-44-AG-PHD and your emails, radio at agphd.com. Let's head up to Manitoba. Got Curtis on with us right now. Curtis, how's it going? It's a pretty sunny day out today, so it's kind of nice. Yeah, yeah, that's that's excellent. Do you have snow on the ground yet, or are you guys still doing things in the field? No, last week we had a really heavy rain followed by some really thick pretty much ceased for the year all right so when you look back at 2021 what kind of year was it for manitoba crops <laughs> we uh had some a lot of bug issues we went from flea beetle issues to grasshopper issues which was brought on by the drought and a lot of areas got hit hard by lack of rain which is pretty odd for manitoba usually manitoba almost in an excess of moisture condition yeah, and, and I know uh, when we get in those wet years, everybody's saying, man, if it would just dry out a little bit, and then when it doesn't rain, <laughs> well, that's not good either. Uh, what What is the subsoil moisture like then? You said you got a pretty nice rain here just before freeze up. That that should help things next year. Oh, absolutely. I think very soil conditions are almost, I would say, ideal. I couldn't ask for much more because just before harvest ended, we had a, a five-inch, which got soaked up too. Sure. Yeah, I know my dad always used to say that, too. If we got some rain to, to kind of recharge the soil, at least we got a chance next year as dry land farmers of having a decent crop. So, you know, looking at all these crop prices, this is where I think it's going to get interesting in areas like yours where there are a lot of different crops raised. Are, are there any crops kind of standing out that you're saying, man, it sure looks like it's going to be a good year to grow uh, this crop or that crop? Well, I mean, it, it, is it a true inflation we're seeing? Are the prices going to stick around? Because a lot of farmers in this area got burnt on early contracts and missing out canola doubling in price. So we had canola go from like $11 to $22, $23. But canola likes to use a lot of fertilizer and fertilizer prices up there. So we have a lot of really interesting decisions to make this winter. Yeah, I, you know, you bring up a good point with the, the fertilizer price in correlation to the crop price. And I know this is something that, that we've learned over the last couple of decades here, too, of of trying to make these decisions that, oh, I love that crop price, and then not getting the fertilizer locked in, and then fertilizer doubles in price, and we're in trouble, or vice versa. So, uh, it, you know, I don't know. It, can you make money with these fertilizer prices right now in current crop prices? I think if they both stay the same, that I think there's there's a, the ability to make profit at that. I have really interesting soils here too. I have some that have lots of organic matter, so sometimes I can cheat and not have to push fertilizer that hard. Yeah, yeah, we're seeing that too, Curtis. We've got some uh, four and five percent organic matter levels here, where we got a lot of nitrogen coming out of these two dry summers that we've had. It was really surprising when we pulled our soil samples. Did you get a chance to get any soil sampling done before you got the rain and the the snow? Absolutely. Is it ever going to pay for itself? Because where my canola was, it didn't do so well, and it left a lot of nutrients in the soil. But my wheat crop seemed to grab almost everything that was there. So. There were some savings to be had on uh, old canola ground. And then when I talk organic batter, I'm talking more like 30, 50%. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's a whole different challenge, no doubt about that, where, where you've got that much. So, uh, yeah, I know everybody talks about that, and it's all relative, and so I'm glad you made that point. <laughs> yeah, our, our lowest soils are in that 5 to 6% range, and call those the tame ones but we get out in the wilder lands we have 50 organic matter it's a different like 
we would love to grow corn out there because it's pretty much fertilizer, but the corn doesn't know when to shut down. Yeah, yeah. Oh man, yeah. Just different challenges. I love it though, and and, and sometimes people think, oh yeah, I could farm in that area. Oh, good luck. Uh, it's it's a lifelong uh, learning process here to figure out how to do some of those things and and some different challenges like that. Well, Curtis, we we really appreciate the chance to talk to you today. Uh, glad you've got stuff wrapped up for the year, even if the weather kind of shuts you down. But uh, hopefully everything turns out good for next year. Glad you got some soil moisture to go on. Yeah, no, things are looking as good as they can right here. Just uh, hopefully our shipping lanes open up out to the west, but that's a real disaster that way for us Canadians. Uh, yes, yes. Yeah, I've been I've been looking at uh, pictures of some of these things too. It's it's not a pretty sight, but you know what? Uh, we're we're just going to keep moving forward. So, uh, thank you, Curtis. Really appreciate it, and good luck here. Yeah, thanks so much. Bye. Got our friend Tony Wendler on right now with Farm Shop MFG. All right, Tony, you heard Curtis saying, man, weather just shut things off, rain, snow. Uh, we haven't got quite so much of that where you're at in Iowa yet, but got a little bit of time yet to be in the field. You still out working on stuff in the field, or, or you got it all wrapped up? I've got mine all wrapped up. The uh, there's It's been wet here. You know, We've had some rain. I was uh, driving back uh, the other evening and noticed it was, 27, 28 miles I drove, I saw one tractor in the field and I met one on the road and I was thinking, you know, nobody's out there spinning their wheels. The, um, even, even today I went a uh, short jog to uh, Fairmont and, uh, didn't see, uh, anything out in the field. So I think people might be kind of wrapping it up with the wet conditions. They're thinking it might be over with, but maybe it's just going to take a little bit of frost to be able to keep the tractors on top and uh, give them a little traction. Yeah, it's something but, uh, our, our neighbors down in the south don't really know much about, but sometimes we wait for the ground to freeze here <laughs> to get back out and get some things done, no doubt about that. Hey, tell us what's going on uh, in grain bins right now. Are there is there anything we should be watching out for? Hey, one of the things that I wanted to just uh, digress for just a second with sure. the gentleman, from uh, Curtis from Manitoba, uh while I'm listening to him, I'm actually sitting here researching on the internet uh, where grain is grown in Canada because I got a company up there who's interested in carrying our uh, closing wheels. Okay. And uh, they're wanting to know if they were going to put in their stores what locations it would go into. So I thought that's kind of interesting because that's literally what's on uh, two of my computer screens is uh, getting data where these uh, row crops are grown. And uh, I need to put a proposal forward to them. So yeah, interesting. Uh, back on to uh, uh, what we're looking at. Uh, been talking a lot of, with a lot of farmers. A lot of eastern uh, grain belt, corn belt states are coming out with high moisture uh, soybeans. Lots of conversations of uh, dry beans on one end of the bin, wet beans on the other. Seems like. I always like the wet stuff on the bottom so you can blow the uh, moisture up through. But uh, the uh, always seems inevitably all of them are in the wrong direction. The uh, dry stuff's on the bottom and the wet stuff's on top. But uh, looking at fan controls, talking about fan controls, how they'll work and they can get, uh, get things done. Uh, different conversations from the point of view of uh, no monitoring at all. Just put a fan control on and if we... Uh, if we set it and you can run it long enough, it's going to get the bin evened out. Uh, the preferred is to have some sensors in there that we can actually tell what's going on. And, uh, 
You know, I talked with a gentleman uh, here late morning, 9% beans in the bottom, 55% humidity in the grain at the bottom of the bin, and 75% humidity in the grain in the top. That's oh, boy. A big variation. Yep. Yep. So, so what do you do when you've – I know a lot of times we, we see farmers that, that – and we've been guilty of this too, running the fans, and we dry things out too much at the bottom of the bin. Uh, how do you turn that around? Do you, you wait and get that humidity up to put moisture back in the bottom, or, or how do you circulate that? Actually, what I did like this gentleman was talk about the guy with the, the uh, 9% beans at the bottom, 55% humidity. We set the uh, the weather station, so the bottom humidity reading on his bin – Fans would kick on when the humidity got above 57. So we're adding moisture to the bottom. The uh, And then we're running them up to, remember, his top's at 75. So we're shutting them off when it gets to 73. So anything between uh, above 55 is going to add moisture to the bottom. Anything below 60, 75 is going to remove moisture from the top. So we set it in that band, and I said, just, set it there. Let's run it for a week and uh, give me a call back. We'll talk about where you're at. Ultimately, when we're running those, uh, we'll do similar settings. And I like to have as wide a variation as I can because it gives us the most opportunity to work on both ends and the most opportunity to have the fans run. But eventually, we're going to get to our target, which is to be right around uh, 68 to 69% humidity. And we're going to run plus or minus that with an equal range. So if we're Three points above uh, 68 and a half. We'll want to be have our bottom reading three and a half, three points below. That's and just we're fan- going to average our target. It's fantastic. We can we can even out a bin like that. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. It's smart to make the right agronomic choices, and it's even smarter to get rewarded for them. With the Bayer Plus Rewards Program, you earn cash back on seed, herbicides, and other eligible products. And it keeps getting smarter because now. You can earn an additional 10% bonus when you send your redemption check to your retailer. To learn more, contact your retailer today. Protect your yields and get the most from your land with Bayer Plus Rewards. Visit MyBayerPlus.com and see program terms and conditions for full details. Go long for season-long foliar disease protection that starts at plant. Only Zyway brand fungicides from FMC provide season-long inside-out foliar disease protection. A single at-plant application provides comparable performance in corn yield protection to that of VT to R1 foliar fungicides against diseases like gray leaf spot, northern corn leaf blight, and more. Visit your FMC retailer or zyway.ag.fmc.com to learn more. Always read and follow all label directions. One of the most important things you can do for your farm is improving drainage. Hi, I'm Darren Hefty. On Monday, January 31st, we're hosting a free Ag PhD tiling clinic in the Morton Center on our farm near Baltic, South Dakota. Whether you've been tiling for years or you're looking to plan your first project, you won't want to miss this event. We have a whole host of information for you, including a legal session with the country's top drainage lawyers, as well as presentations on tile design, lift stations, NRCS guidelines, and ways to approach neighbors and landlords about tiling issues. For more details and to register, go to agphd.com. While you're there, check out the other AgPhD events we have coming up in January and February, including agronomy workshops in corn, soybeans, and wheat, two days dedicated to soils, plus a whole day devoted to natural and biological products. There's a lot of great information here, and we can't wait to share it with you. To learn more about these events and register, go to agphd.com. 
Did you know soybean diseases like white mold and sudden death syndrome can survive in your soil even after rotating crops? Prevention of these diseases is a constant battle and yield loss from an infection can be devastating. The right management plan makes all the difference. Keep your beans safe with Heads Up Seed Treatment. Heads Up guards your seed from both white mold and SDS. Stay protected and profitable by asking your seed dealer for Heads Up. Learn more at headsupst.com. Morton Buildings knows that great buildings need great people, and we want you to be the newest member of our team. Morton is expanding its construction crew, and we're seeking new and experienced candidates to fill our crew member positions. Morton provides great pay and training, so be a part of the next generation to build Morton. Don't let the opportunity to join the best construction crew in the business pass you by. Learn more on our careers page at mortonbuildings.com. Back, you're listening to Ag PhD Radio. It's a Farmer Friday here. We're taking your calls at 844-44-AG-PHD, and we're taking your emails, radio at agphd.com. It's exactly what George did. George says, how much potassium is safe to apply in a 3x3 on both sides of the row? We would like to use a, a dry 0060 blended with MAP and urea in a no-till system, and we'd like to move away from broadcast surface applications. Yeah, these are the toughest questions. When you ask us things like, okay, will this herbicide kill this weed? You know, that's an easy question. But but when it's, well, how much fertilizer can I use? Because there are so many factors that go into it. The more rainfall, the more fertilizer you can apply. The heavier your soil, the more fertilizer you can apply. The farther away from the seed and the very, very small roots, the more fertilizer you can apply. And the earlier you put the fertilizer on, the more you can apply. So those are the, the just some of the rules that, or I should say guidelines that we would give you. And after that, it's really a judgment call. So in our heavy ground, we used to do a about a yeah, it was about a three by three or three by four or whatever on both sides of the road, dry, and we did a fair amount. But like I was saying earlier in the show today, we just don't want to be in a build program with that to feed the crop. You know, to put out grain removal, then usually we we can do just fine and and we don't have a big problem. But yeah, fertilizer by definition is salt, and salt is not a good thing for a young seed or seedling. So we just have to be careful and use fertility in moderation anywhere near that seed and young seedling. Yep, you can certainly split some of it up in your broadcast application and some of it in your 3 by 3 and then just adjust as you go forward if everything's fine and you have dry years and wet years and you see, nope, yep, that rate's fine, you can, you can always increase from there. Uh, I get this question from Bruce up in eastern Ontario, Canada. He said, we're hard at harvest right now. 40% of our corn crop left, which is pretty normal for us. We're going to be doing some pattern tiling. I'm just wondering, what is the? do you have a reliable scale for the distance between tile lines based on soil texture and type? What we usually will show at our tiling clinics is some information from University of Minnesota. I'd have to pull that up here quick. But... But it, it, it's basically as simple as this. The more shallow you go with the tile lines, the closer together you have to be. 
So in other words, the deeper you go, the farther apart you can be. And also, the higher the cation exchange capacity. In other words, the heavier the soil, then the closer together you have to be. But it's all, it, it, it's just kind of all relative. So it just depends on how great you want that drainage to be, how quick you want things to drain. Uh, what I usually will tell people is, look, if you want to be let's say, not very aggressive in the beginning, that's fine. Just set things up so you could go in and split the middles in the future. So, for example, if let's say you set it on 70-foot spacings right now, you just have it set so if you wanted to in the future, you could put a line in between on each of those and change it down to 35. So the big thing is putting in a big enough main and getting that right, having good slope with the main. So do the main right, and then you can throw a few laterals in and then throw a few more in in the future if you feel like you need better drainage. Thanks for the question. Uh, I got this one in from Brandon and he said, what's the typical availability of nutrients found on a soil test, assuming most mostly normal nutrient to nutrient ratios and soil pH in the mid sixes? I'm just wondering how much of that fertilizer I could compare or I could count on. I've got 12 parts per million on a weak bray phosphorus in a top six inch soil sample, roughly 55 pounds of available phosphate. Uh, yep. say, say I've got. That's available today. Yeah. And so when you start talking about the P2 or the strong bray, that's what they believe is going to come available during the course of the next growing season. So what, there, there are some different types of tests. Some are, hey, this is here right now today and should be available for your crop, like the Olson test or the weak bray. And then you look at things like the P2 or strong bray or the Malik 3, and we a lot of times will say, all right, part of that's available today, part of it's going to come available in the next growing season. Um, and that really will vary depending on heat, microbial activity, uh, just soil moisture. In other words, if you have good drainage or you don't, if you have plenty of air in the soil or if you don't. So a lot of factors. It's, it's really, really hard to say. And then the other thing is, just think about this for a second. Even if you do what we're doing, which a lot of people think is way over the top, one acre grids, just think about what we did. An acre is 43,560 square feet. That's a lot. It's a football field and you, you took a few soil cores. Is that fully representative of that football field or one acre? Well, we hope so, but is it going to be perfect? No way. No possible chance. So in other words, yep, that you, you gave us your, your reading right there, but what's your reading 100 feet away, 200 feet away, 300 feet away? You see where I'm going with this. So we're just trying to do as farmers the best we can here and as agronomists and try to get an idea of what we think is going to come available. And then it's just a, a question of, all right, how much more are you willing to invest to make sure you've got enough there all the time? Or are you going to kind of chance it and say, well, I, you know, fertilizer's high and it's not that important, whatever. I look at it most of the time, especially right now when commodity prices are high, as I just don't want to run short. So I'd rather err on the side of getting a little too much out there. But if, let's say, commodity prices were really low, like even a, a little over a year ago when commodity prices were way down, you go, hmm, I don't know that I want to take a whole lot of chances here, so I'm probably going to be a little conservative, and maybe I'll come up just a little short, and I'll hope a little more comes available than what the soil test is saying. But yeah, the soil test is not going to be perfect, in part because it's never 100% 
accurate in in that it's representative for everything. Okay, so the two questions, if he has 55 pounds showing up on his weak bray of phosphate yep. and his crop needs 51, uh, how much more should he apply? And if he is in a drought, would that change how much you'd apply as well? And then also wondering if there's any tool to estimate how far nitrogen will leach uh, depending on rainfall and so forth. Okay, let's answer the second question first. The nitrogen leaching, how far? No, I, I mean, I don't have any tool to tell you how far it's going to reach. It varies depending on cation exchange capacity or soil type. You know, how heavy is that soil? And then how much rain do you get? Not in total, but in certain events. In other words, if I get 10 inches of rain over two months, that's one thing. If I get 10 inches of rain in one night, that's something completely different. So... No, there isn't anything exact there. You just, again, have to use your best judgment, and then you can do some soil tests like we talk about all the time. A, a nitrate test only costs like five bucks, and what we would encourage you to do is pull zero all the way down to 24 inches deep so you can see how much total nitrogen is in that profile. In terms of how much phosphorus would I put on, did he say what his yield goal was? 100. 100 bushel? Corn. 100 bushel corn. And you've already got 55 pounds of phosphate that's available there today. Uh, look, if it's a drought, and that was one of the questions, for in drought, and I know this seems counterintuitive, but in drought, I'm actually putting on more fertilizer than less. And here's the reason why. Because fertilizer is going to go, fertility is going to go in with water. When there's less water going in, you have to have a higher concentration. And that was... You, you could see the evidence of that all over the country this year. In the Midwest, all this corn went down. Why? Guys had the same amount of K there that they did the year before or the year before that. Why was the, why was the lodging so bad? Because of the drought. Because there was less K that actually got into the plant. So you've got to have a little more fertility and drought. Anyway, what would I put on for 100 bushel corn? Um, you know, I don't know that I would do a whole lot more than what you've got there, but I would probably band a little bit. So we like to band just a little bit of low salt liquid fertilizer with the planter. And I, I, I would also say I only have your weak bray test. I don't have your strong bray or what's really sitting there. I also don't know what your soil organic matter is, and we usually figure for every one point of soil organic matter, you're going to get about another four pounds or so of phosphate out. So I'm just saying you're probably pretty close on the phosphorus right now. I'd probably just supplement it a little bit, not a lot. All right. Thanks for the questions, Brandon. We really appreciate that. If you have any follow-up questions, of course, you can send it to us, radio at agphd.com. Also starting to get a lot of questions about upcoming winter workshops that we're going to be hosting. You can find all the details for those at agphd.com. Really excited about some of the information that we're going to share there on soils like we're talking about today, but also on crops like corn, soybeans, wheat, and others. So again, it's agphd.com. Click on the events tab and you can get all the information and pre-register there. Thanks for listening to our show today. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.